You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. All right, gentlemen, good morning. Uh, appreciate you guys coming. I got to remind Patrick not to say he's not going to be here one week to the next because uh, empties out all these tables over here. Must be this crowd over here on this side that... Uh, Really likes to come and hear him, but he'll be back next week and finish up Hebrews through April, and Scott will finish up in May, and uh, it's been great. It's been a really quick year this year, it seems like to me, Uh, long and fast at the same time, if that makes sense. Okay, so a couple things for you. Just like last time, I'm just going to leave here. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the things that we do as men, or at least you just want to know what they are so that you can... I don't know, whatever you want to do with that knowledge. I'm going to leave those things here, fill them out. You took a bunch of them last time, and about two of you returned them. So whatever you did with them, that's fine. But if you need a new card, it's there. If you're interested at all in our boot camp, that Wild Heart boot camp that we do twice a year, the next one's in May. Again, there's another flyer right here. Take one if you need them. And um, if you would all enjoy that warrior prayer thing that we give out, or that... uh, Armor prayer, you're familiar with that. There's more stickies here. You can help yourself with that. And um, the last thing I want you to know is, you know, we've ha- we're on our third trip this coming Friday. A reminder back to Glorietta to work on the camp there. And we've had great, man, we've had some great success. We've done a ton of things. And uh, they're looking forward to us to come back. And so we still have some spots on that trip. It's, uh, it's a work and eat and sleep trip, and we'd love to have you, and you don't have to really know what you're doing because there's enough of guys who do know what they're doing to tell guys like me and you how to do this and how to do that, and you marvel as they hold a hammer in one hand or a drill and a saw in the other, and they're just doing this and saying, Joe, give me another piece of wood, and that's all I need to do. Is it? yes, sir, here you go. Here's your piece of wood. And, um, but we'd love to have you. It's a great time of fellowship along the same way. And, and meeting some other men. And that's what a lot of the things that we try to do here in our men's ministry is about. But this is in preparation for Glorietta to be one of the coolest camps around. It's going to be amazing when they get all finished this year. So uh, again, I'm glad you're here. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Joe. And um, I'm one of the guys on staff here and primarily take care of men's ministry is, is really my primary care. But uh, all right, let's pray and, and then we'll get started. Father, I just thank you for the men that get up early and come here each week and those that are here this morning. And we pray that, uh, we'll just pray you'd meet with us, that this would not be in vain, that there'd be something from your word today that would make a difference in our lives, that would encourage us, that would strengthen us, that would change us, that would challenge us. Um, and just and just help us to be the men that you've called us to be. And so help my, my words be clear and my thoughts be clear. And may Holy Spirit, may you just work through and, and may they hear what they need to hear regardless of what I say today. Jesus, in your name, amen. All right, well, as uh, those of you guys that were here a couple of weeks ago when... when you know, I kind of am the, I keep the schedule for this and I fill in time to time as the, as the big dogs, you know, can't make it and that sort of thing. And sometimes I will schedule myself for a whole bunch of time, but this year it's just kind of been, hey, what, I'll fill in the gaps. And so on the 5th, 
you know, I brought this idea of, you know, what, the things in life that happen being a setback in our life, the difficult times, or a setup. And we looked at these two boards, this Monopoly board, with the idea that this is the way we'd love life to be, where we start here and it's a straight line and it's a path that's so clear and we know exactly where we're headed. We turn a corner, we know what we're up against and all that kind of stuff. But the reality and the truth of our lives is that our, our lives really go a little bit more like this Candyland board where we start out and we think we're heading in the right direction, and we are. And then after a little while, we take a turn and we find ourselves on a little block over here that has us headed in the opposite direction of where we thought we were going. And sometimes we're on that block for a while, and sometimes it, it takes us in that backward direction for a while, and we wind up even further past where we thought where we started out, and it gets very discouraging. We looked at the life of Joseph and all the things that happened in his life and um, in his story, and it was really pretty clear that in the midst of all those difficult things that God had put him through, that God was, it was not a setback to ruin him. It was a setup for the things that God had prepared for him in the future. And so when I finished with that teaching, not realizing that another opportunity was gonna come up right close to that, you know, I wound up just having conversations with guys as I do all the time. And, and I think within that week, I had three or four conversations that all wound up, they all wound up with me going back to this illustration and sharing with these, with these guys, wow, this is exactly what, you know, this is what I was talking about on Wednesday. And so as when this opportunity came up, I, you know, I felt like God was saying, you know, let's, let's keep working that for one more time. Let's talk about that a little bit more, but this time I've got somebody else in mind that, that I want you to look at. And so we're going to pick up, um, you know, a little bit where we left off. But before we do, you know, this, this whole idea of God working behind the scenes, doing things that we cannot see, that we don't understand, with a purpose to bring us to the place that he needs us to be, whether we understand it or not, and most of the time I'll just... Be honest with you, I, most of the time I don't see it. I don't see, God, where are you going? And so we looked at a couple of verses to start last week, I just want, or the last time, and um, I'm going to remind you of them. Proverbs 16.9 says that the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So I want to re remind you of that. Proverbs 20 verse 24 says that man's steps are ordained by the Lord, how then can a man understand his ways? Isaiah 55 verses eight and nine say, for my thoughts, God's talking, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Just trying to get through the idea that we make lots of plans, and we're supposed to do some planning, but not all the time are our plans consistent with God's plans. He's got other things going on that we are just not going to grasp sometime till we get to the other side. Um, and, and so I think the crucial thing for us is to make it to the other side. To not give up, to not quit, to not fall down in the midst of it just because we don't understand it. And that's where trust and the foundation of trust and, and uh, in, in God, our Father who loves us, who has the, our best intentions in mind, comes in. And for some of us, that's something that we have to learn. The whole idea that, God, I can trust you. Because so many other people in our lives, have, and sometimes we find ourselves in those situations and they've let us down. So therefore, we think God's going to do the same thing. And so um, 
There's another uh, piece that I want to remind you of, and that is that these are real people we read about. They're not just flannel graph people, you know, from Sunday school that they would put up there and say, oh, this is Joseph. Look at him as he walks through this. Oh, isn't that sad? No, it was, it's real life people going through difficult experiences with all the pain and the emotion and suffering and joy that we feel as we go through life. And so here's the the last reminder before we get started. Uh, These are the questions that I asked you to think about last time, and I'm going to remind you of them. These are the questions as we walk through these times in our life that we need to begin to be asking ourselves. Number one is, God, what are you up to? I didn't print sheets today, and you just take notes on something else or write in your Bible today. Did that on purpose. So God, what are you up to? If you have the notes from a couple weeks ago, you can just pick up there. And then God, what am I supposed to be learning from this? And then is this a setup for something greater that I cannot see as we walk through these things instead of everything else that we would want to say in the midst of it all? Okay, so we left off Joseph in in Genesis chapter 41 in verse 46 and, and we left him off as he was um, and we're going to just kind of skim through Joseph real quick so I can get to where I want to be. But we left him off as, um, as, we, as we find him as the cupbearer, um, 41, 46, here it is. Now Joseph was 30 years old and he stood before the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. That brought him to that place. And we saw him there. And then we find out a little bit further down that Joseph gets married. Now that he's in this position, he has two sons. Really cool because he, he names his sons. And one of them, he names them that says, God has made me forget all my trouble. And, and that wasn't his name. That was what his name meant. Okay, can you imagine? What's your name? My name is God has made me forget all my trouble. All right, I know it's early. Okay, and plus, Leon, mess with you guys with your coffee. You're all still pissed about that. I can see it on your faces. All right, so the second he named, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has made me forget all my troubles. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. What a great attitude Joseph had. And then there's this great famine as we move down through the chapter, and it's a famine over all the earth, but Joseph saves the day. That's what he was supposed to do. Because really the plan was for him to save the nation of Egypt, but the whole world was affected. And then Jacob sends his sons. I have to read this chapter 42. I love this part where Jacob says in verse 1, Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? I, oh, wow. Okay. So why, why are you guys just standing around? Go do something, is what he tells them. Behold, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt, Go down there and buy some that we may live and not die. And so they show up. Joseph knows them. He sees them. These are my brothers, but they don't know who he is. And then comes, there's this happy reunion and all those that are surviving of, of, of Israel come down there. There's 70 of them pretty much all together that come and that surprises the whole nation at that point in time that God brings them to Egypt because if they don't show up to Egypt to where the grain is, then they're all gonna die because there's a famine across the whole earth. And so this whole setup, as we read about with Joseph, was to get him there, to get him in power, because he's a smart guy to make the plan, not to just physically save the earth, but to save the nation of Israel, because no saving of the nation 
is no fulfillment of the scripture, is no savior to the world, is no Jesus. He doesn't come. It's all, and, and, and you're like, well, God could have done it another way. Well, he could have done it another way if he didn't promise to do it this way. But he told us how he was going to do things, so therefore he's got to figure out how to work it out to make it happen. So then we find out in chapter 50 that Jacob dies and, and, and Joseph's brothers have what we might call an OS moment. They're, um, what are we going to do now because Joseph has died and what if, what if he was only being kind to us because dad was still alive? Or not Joseph dies, but Jacob dies. What if he was just being kind to us because dad was still here and now that dad is gone, oh no, what, what is he going to do? And, uh, and, but then we find out that Joseph is, is bigger than all of that. And then we read in verse 26 of, of chapter 50 that Joseph dies at 110 years old. And I think it's really neat because I, I, I did the math. It's not difficult. He lived in Egypt for 80 years. 80 years doing good. 13 years of hell to get there. But then 80 years of fulfilling God's purpose. We, didn't, we don't often see that. God gets him here because there's this long plan that he has. And so he dies, and then we realize, that as we just keep reading, that, ex, that Israel increases in numbers greatly. It starts saying in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to get to a place where we're going to read a little bit in just a minute. And there's a new king who comes to power who doesn't know who Joseph even is. And I think that's remarkable. How does someone come to power in a nation like that and not know about the guy who saved the whole world from famine, who used to be one of their, you know, was one of their bigwigs? And I thought, well, did he not study history at all of his country? I mean, what, how did that happen? But somehow he doesn't even know who Joseph is and what Joseph has accomplished. All he knows is that these people, these Israelites are growing in number and it causes fear because pretty soon they're going to take over and they're going to side with our enemies and we're in big trouble. And so the, they, they decide to make you know, decisions they make out of fear to make their job harder, make them work in bondage and take away this and that. And then they find out in verse 12 and, and 14 of, of, chapter of, of Exodus 1 that the more difficult they make their job, the stronger and the more increased this nation gets. These people, no matter what we do to them, they keep growing and they keep flourishing, which makes them even more fearful. And they come down to the point of in verse 16 where they make this decision. In chapter one, he says, he tells that, they, that when they get to the Hebrew woman and they're about to give birth and they see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, if it's a male child, then you shall put him to death but if it's a daughter, then she shall live. And so this decree goes out to kill all the male Hebrew children that are born because once again, it's to try to stop. You know, he doesn't even really know what he's doing, but the idea from spiritual, other spiritual things is to stop God's lineage from ever coming to fruition. But there's this plan to, to kill all the, all the male boys out of fear. So now we get to the place I want it to be, and it's in Exodus chapter 2, because we meet the guy we want to talk about today, and his name is Moses, and some of you guys may have already realized we were going here. And in chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 10, because this tells us this amazing story of the beginning of God's intervention in his life. This is... this. Um, 
Well, let me just read it. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was, a, was beautiful, she hid him for three months, disobeying the law to kill him. And when she could hide him no longer, she got a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. And then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. So she just sets him out to float. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent to her maid and she brought it to her. This is the part I have written in my Bible. What a coincidence. This is absolutely amazing that all the stars would line up at the right time for this to happen. And so she finds him and she, and, and, and she brings it to her. When she opened it, she sees the child and behold, the boy was crying and she had pity on him. This is one of the Hebrews' children and she doesn't say, oh, these guys are supposed to die. What is he doing here? Blah, blah, blah. Go ahead and push that basket under the water. And uh, she opens it, she saw, and this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to, to Pharaoh's daughter, she happens to be close enough, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? What a great idea. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yeah, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. I don't know if how many of you guys remember this story. This is absolutely over the top amazing, this story right here. And, and so she goes and gets the child's mom and Pharaoh's daughter says to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I'm gonna pay you. I'm gonna give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. Now, I don't know how else to elaborate on this, but you've got to stop and think about this for a minute. That this is just way too amazing to be coincidental that, okay, she lives and the Pharaoh's daughter is, is good with it and then she gets to go back and his mom gets, who broke the law, gets to feed him and take care of him for at least a few years and she receives wages from the government to do this and protect him, and then when he's old enough, here you go, so that he will be your son. All of a sudden, just like this, he should have died, and now he's grandson to the king. Absolutely amazing. And these, these what seem like little things to me, it just blows my mind how God can be in the middle and do things and set these things up that no one else could possibly do. There are so many other ways this story could have gone. So many other ways. And so, you know, that's really all we have about the first 40 years of Moses' life. It doesn't tell us a whole lot, but I think we can easily fill in some of the blanks. And you guys say to me, Joe, you're off your rocker if you think that's the truth. But here, let's fill in some of these blanks because I think it's easy to do. King of the grandson, or grandson of the king, right? Just seeing if you're listening. Um, what, what must have been like to live as grandson to the king of Egypt? Really, the, the, the biggest, richest nation in the earth at that point in time, right? Riches, privileges, all the food he wants, 
the, the best clothing, not just Ross dress for less, going and not going to the outlets, but going to the actual place to wear the designer labels and paying the stupid money, anyway, that you pay. Um, education, and, and we're not, you know, I know you guys would all fight about it, but we're not talking UT and tech and, and we're talking Harvard and Yale kind of stuff. We're talking the best of the best education. And I know I just made enemies here, but um, you'll be all right. Um, training, not just tra- training how to be a man, training how to be an Egyptian leader, training how to, to do everything. I mean, just think about it. The lifestyle of the rich and famous probably somewhat spoiled, obviously, but the idea of the best of the best, is that's where he lives. That's where he lives for these 40 years with everything. Um, and, and think about it just for a minute, the life that he grew accustomed to. And as we continue on, as we go on to verse 11, we find we really are fast forward in like 40 years. And so that's why we fill in the blanks here. This is how he was saved miraculously from death. And then we put in those pictures of this is what life was like for him for those years. And then we come, we fast forward 40 years and all, I can tell you that I'm not sure exactly how, but it has pretty much to do something with his mom and being involved with his family. I would guess that maybe he had, and this is a speculation, I can't prove this, that maybe even after he was weaned in those couple of years and given to Pharaoh's daughter, that, that he still maybe got to stay connected with that lady who took care of him. But somehow along the way, he, it's pretty clear that he learned who he was. Yes, he, he was this hybrid. Yes, he was an Egyptian, grandson to the king. But somehow he realized that his roots were, and maybe, his, maybe the Pharaoh's daughter told him, I don't know, but somehow he got it that his roots really were Hebrew. So he finds himself in this place where he is um, this hybrid and he understands it. And it goes like this. He says in verse 11, it came about in, the, in, in, the, in those days when Moses had grown up and he went out to his brethren and he looked on their hard labors and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. Anybody watching? And he saw there was no one around. He struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He went out the next day and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a prince or judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely this matter has become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, I don't know if any of you studied Hebrew at all, but the word well there really means bar. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Lord, would you just help these guys this morning, please? Um, because I'm just trying to think, when you think about who he is and, and what has just happened and how he run, he has to flee from everything he's known in this lifestyle, the rich and famous, and he finds himself in a desert. You, you know he's sitting, Joe, th- line me up a couple. 
because I don't know what just happened in my life here, but here I am and I can't go back to where I was. And so let's sit down and let's talk about this a little bit. But he finds himself sitting in a, at a well and, and uh, is he, is he's tried to fulfill what I think he believed he understood about who he was. I can hear his mom, Moses, you were saved miraculously and God has a plan for you and, and, and you are gonna be the one that delivers us, that gets us out of here and that's why God saved you and all your cousins were killed and this and that and the other thing. And so he somehow grows up with this idea that I've got to do something about the, the state of my, my, my heritage. And so he steps in to do something in his timing and his plan and it all backfires on him. It, it just completely falls apart. It is not what he thought was going to happen. I'll kill this guy and, and, and we'll stop this. And then one by one, we're going to make we're going to make this happen. And I have power, right? I'm, I'm the grandson to the king, so I can turn this thing around politically if I get on their side and I can get other people on their side, but it backfires completely. And he finds himself there sitting at the well. And again, God intervenes because this is the beginning now of a brand new life. And it says in, in verse 16, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water, and all of a sudden the place got happy. Seven daughters come to draw water and filled the trowels of water and their, and their father's flock. Then the, shepherds, then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So he stands up to do the right thing. And when they came to rule their father, he said, why have you come back so soon today? And they said, oh, an Egyptian... So that's exactly what he looked like. He came from the city and you could tell he wasn't a shepherd. An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds and what is more, he even drew the water and watered our flock and he said to his daughter, where is he? And Moses, it says in verse 21, after all this was willing to dwell with the man and he gave him his daughter, his daughter to Moses to be his wife. And they gave birth to a son and named him Gershom for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And so we find out that here he is with this now in this place where he never thought he'd be. It was not part of the plan whatsoever. And now all of a sudden he's out here and he's married to this shepherd girl. I mean, you just got to just put yourself there for a minute. He used to walk the fashion deal in New York City, right? And the models are all over the place and he gets to pick and choose anyone he wants because he's king, he's the king's grandson. And now he's out here and there's these shepherd girls and I'm thinking there would be a vast difference in how they look. Still beautiful, but way different than what he's used to. And he's out there and he's now married to one, a huge lifestyle change. And so think about for a moment with me, what do you think goes through his mind on a day-to-day -day basis? What would be going through your mind on a daily basis if this was you? I mean, there's all kinds of things. You know, how did I get here? Um, what am I doing? Where is my life going? What went wrong? Uh, just name it. Uh, how did I become such a loser? It was so promising. 
da 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 and you just put yourself there but, and I can do it easily because I've been in this place it seems like a bunch of times in my life so I know where I go and, and, and some of you guys can go to the same place really easily when things don't go the way you planned and you thought you were doing the right thing and it all backfires and then you find yourself sitting here completely, you know, he has to be discouraged. There's no way he's not. And so, you know, um, it's just, it's, you know, I guess I messed it up. I guess I screwed it up so much for that plan. And, and I don't know if I, I didn't mention, I don't think that this season lasts for 40 years. It's not Joseph's 13 years of, even Joseph's 13 years was, hey, this happens and then it changes and this happened and then it changes and now I'm in this place and I'm in that place. This is 40 years, the second half or, or the, the second 40 years of his life, the first 40 years are all this promise. The second 40 years is wandering around the desert trying not to step in and sheep crap and, and learn and, and, and taking care of sheep and, and, and just living in a completely different atmosphere. And so just take that in a little bit and what that does to somebody with high aspirations at the beginning and this is my plan, and this is all I've been given, and this is everything I have going for me, and then all of a sudden it's like, what in the world? What am I doing in this place? And every day, and you, I, you know, you can just see him as the sheep are making their noise, like, shut up. Shut up. You, you have no idea. I, I can just, I would be going off at the sheep saying, no idea what, I, do you know who I am? Do you know what I know and what I'm capable of? And this is what I, my life has been reduced to? It's ridiculous. So how do you think he is mentally and emotionally? It's, it's, it can't be a good scenario for him. And once again, all the hopes and the dreams and the plans are crushed. And I look and I say, wow, what a, what a setback. But here, the, as, as, we, as we find out a little bit more, about the story, we realize that our God is so absolutely amazing that in the midst of his situation, God comes for him. And God comes for him because he was in no ways done with him. Not by a long shot. This was just part of the setup to get him to the place where he needed to be because God had to do some things before he would take him into the fruition of what God had really saved him for. Because Moses was not wrong in what he thought God had planned. What he was wrong about was he thought it would be like this. And God said, no, you know what? It's going to be more like this, my friend. And that's the part that gets us all the time. But here we are in in verse 11 of chapter, or of verse one in chapter three, because God comes for him. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and, behold the, and beheld the bush and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Huh. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight why the bush is not burned up. Here's the kicker. 
And I, before I read that, you know what, I'm gonna, what it says, but I need you to get this part because God comes to him and really gives him nothing more than an opportunity to, to listen. And, and so he has this opportunity at this point. Huh. I wonder what that's about. Yeah, who cares? I mean, where my life is right now, I mean, it's just a bush. And he turns around and he walks away or he looks and because, because it's really clear that God says here, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, when God saw that he got his attention, then God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And then he goes on to tell him, you know, to take your shoes off. And this is holy ground. And as he comes down here, he says in verse seven, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have given, he introduces himself. Let me back up. Um, he says, you know, do not come here. Remove your sandals from your feet. In verse five, this place is holy. And he introduces himself. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, after he introduces himself, he tells him what he's got on his mind. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. They have given heed to their cry. I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians to bring them up to the land that is good, a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite and all those guys there. And now in verse nine, now behold the cry of the sons of the Israel of Israel have come to me. I have seen the oppression of which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Hi, I'm God, and I know what my people are going through, and I'm here to take you back to Egypt so that you can rescue them, which would be the fulfillment, and you think he'd be saying, yes. I've been waiting for you to show up. Where, where have you been all this time? Blah, blah, blah. But instead, he's a different person now. He's not the same rich kid with these high hopes that he once was. I'm not saying he had a bad attitude. I'm just saying this was his life. Now this is his life and some things have transpired over these years that have changed him. Because now when God says, I'm going to send you to this place, here's his response. In verse 11, he says, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And God says, I'm going to be with you. And and now Moses, like I said, Moses has a moment here where he's like, oh, no. He doesn't know what to do because I'm just going to read what I wrote down. He has lost confidence He has lost any sense of what he was thinking and believing and dreaming about 40 years ago. He has lost heart. He has lost desire. He has lost his sense of calling. And now he's just a husband and a father and he keeps sheep for a living, not the miraculously saved deliverer of the Hebrew people. And I gotta tell you, I don't know about you, but been there, got a couple of those t-shirts when I'm, I realize, okay, this is who I am now, or I think this is who I am now. This is who I thought I was, and this is who I am now. 
And so we find out that God is not going to let him off the hook that easy. God says, I'm going to be with you. Down in verse 13, uh, you know, he, he says, what if I go to them? What am I going to say to them? And then God answers him. You know, because really what Moses is saying is, you know, I, um, he, he's, really, he's really saying, I, I used, they're not going to believe, you know, he's, who am I? I don't, I'm not who I used to think I was. And then he goes on to say, what would I say to them? He said, because I used to know what I was going to say. And then he goes on and he says, that they're not going to believe me in, in chapter 4, verse 1, and because you know he used to think that they would believe him. What if they will not believe me? God says, hey, what's that staff? Let me show you this. And then in verse 10, he says, you know, I really don't know how to speak, but I used to be able to speak. It's all going on in the back of his mind. I, I used to do this. I used to be this, but I'm not that now. And then in verse 13, he really tells God, would you just send somebody else? That's what that means there. He's saying, I don't, I'm not interested anymore. And um, I have a, a we're going to close in just a minute, but I got a clip that, you know, sometimes as I'm studying, things just come to my mind. And as I was sitting there, I was all wrapped up yesterday, and as I was sitting reading another book, this clip came to my mind that I think illustrates a little bit about what he was feeling. Now, it has the potential to offend one or two of you guys, and so I just apologize for that right now. And if I'm not here next week, it's because you went to my boss. Actually, there's enough of my bosses in this room to get me in trouble with this all, already. So um, it's really... but. I think, I think you'll see, I want to just show you this picture of where he was at this point in his life, and then we'll pretty much be done. A couple more minutes after that. Um, but what a picture to me. I'm standing there saying, oh my, how he would remember who he was. And then there was someone there saying, hey, you know, encouraging him on, letting him know when these times are coming. And that's exactly what God does in that next verse is, is we find out that just like Mick, in a way, God gets angry at him in verse 14. The anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he just, I don't know exactly what he said, except he said, look it. All right, we're doing this thing. And whatever it takes to do this thing, he talks about his brother Aaron, but he gets in his face and says, you know, sort of, I understand where you're at, son. I understand where you're at, but I'm here and I'm bigger and I'm greater than possibly anything that you can imagine. And yeah, I've allowed you to come to this place because I had to do some things in you, but we are going forward and we're going to do this thing. And you find out that he did go forward. And you know the story, and he did rescue the people, and he spends another 40 years in the wilderness. And what is so amazing about this is that we have to understand that the first 40 years had purpose to teach him and to train him certain things. But the little city kid from Egypt would never have survived for a half a day in the wilderness taking care of all those people if he didn't learn some things while he spent the years being a sheep herder. He learned humility. I'm not who I think I am. Great. That's exactly where you need to be. So now I can build you back up, God says. Because so many times he has to break us down to build us back up because we think we are so much more than we are. 
And we need to be broken down. We need to be humbled for God to say, okay, I never abandoned my purpose for you. But, it, but you're so thick-headed that we had to go through this to get you to the place where I could actually use you. Your plan didn't work, but that's still the major plan. Now we're going to go forward and we're going to do it my way, but we're still accomplishing the purpose. And so we understand that in those last years, he matured, he learned humility, he learned wisdom, he learned patience, he learned how to lead something by leading sheep, he led them first, then lead people, and then he learned how to be a caregiver, which I'm sure he wasn't before because everybody waited on him. And then after that, he learned how to survive in the desert. And he also, it only makes a mention of it, but his father-in-law was the priest of Midian. So I'm sure that there was things that he began to learn about the true and living God at the same point in time also, or got reminded of it because I know his mom would tell him, but he got reminded again and learned about how the God of the universe was taking care of him. So all the things he learned in Egypt... Um, were very important, but he would have never learned the things he needed to learn to actually finish the job. I'm sure the things he learned in Egypt gave him ingenuity and thoughts, well, we can do this. He MacGyvered some stuff, right, because of the things he learned. But then the other things he, he would have never learned outside of that, that deal. And so we ask, it brings us back to the questions. Is like, close up, and it's like, God, what are you up to when it's our life? that's out in the desert and we've lost everything and we don't know who we are anymore. All we have is memories of greatness. And then we come to the place and think I'm washed up. God, what are you up to? And God, what am I supposed to be learning here? Because you know what I think I understand? Get down to learning it and get out of the desert as quick as possible (laughs) instead of fighting it, instead of moping around. Man, and I'm the king of that. So easy to get discouraged. And then lastly, is this a setup for something greater that I cannot see? So Moses' life, setback, huge setback, or setup for the purpose that God had created him for? And the same thing in our lives. Let's pray and we'll be gone. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and the examples. The examples of men's lives and how you work in their lives. And now even how when we, we, we try to do things on our own and you come and you rescue us. And when we have no hope and we have no vision and we have no dreams and no desires and we've lost everything that we used to have that you come in and I'm here. And I'll encourage you and I'll answer every one of your questions because what I have for you is this grand purpose. But you gotta learn some things first. So please hang in there. And so, Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. And Holy Spirit, you've come to live inside of us. May you have power and may you have strength today. And may you encourage us as we walk down this road. Thank you for everything. In your name, amen. Guys, have a great day, great week.